Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having another good week. Hope you guys all had a good Thanksgiving. It was nice here. Had a little get-together, had some fun, and uh, just relaxed for a few days. Kind of nice to have a few days off from work and be able to just kick back and relax. Taking a look at the news, um, the Eagles are back to their losing ways. They ended up losing this weekend, but... Almost everybody else, in, while they didn't, the Giants ended up winning, and that hurts probably the most is that the Eagles lost to the Giants, partly because they're both in the same division and partly because it was the Giants. I used to like them a long time ago, kind of, and not so much anymore. Uh, looking at other things in the news, uh, it looks like Ghislaine or Ghislaine or whatever, Maxwell, has finally started going to trial. And, uh, so I saw a meme the other day that, uh, said Ghislaine Maxwell born 1956 or whatever it was and died sometime this week. Hopefully she doesn't do much testifying against the Clintons because she probably won't be long for this, uh, earth if she does that, which I don't, I mean, I don't think we'll ever really know the whole story, but it would be interesting to know all the behind the scenes stuff that happened in that whole situation like who was part of it and i mean irregardless it's sick and disgusting uh no matter who was behind it or who was involved in it and whatnot but it would be kind of interesting to see all of it i did watch the documentary called filthy rich or something like that i think it was called about jeffrey epstein and uh yeah it didn't paint him in a very good light which obviously it shouldn't paint him in a very good light because he's a sicko but other than that uh it looks like the new covid variant of the month has come out and this time it's called omicron and a lot of people are saying too with all these different covid variants come out and, and whatnot they say look at the timeline like what are they trying to block from people seeing with a new variant coming out like this one it came the variant had came out like right around thanksgiving it came out right after the rittenhouse trial and right before Ghislaine maxwell's trial and uh i don't know there's a lot of people that are pointing speculation that it's weird of uh, the timing of when these variants all of a sudden um pop up but it all could just be coincidence you know who knows but We'll just uh, get through this one, and then we'll wait till next month and see what one comes out then, and just keep on going, I guess. Those, uh, all those memes that we saw at the very beginning where people were talking about, is this the new normal? It almost seems like it's become that way. I mean, uh, this was supposed to, we're in, I think it's, we're in to probably about the 53rd or 60, something like that week of uh, wearing a mask to shorten the curve or to flatten the curve, and we're seeing that the vaccina vaccinations don't really help at all. They may help for you from getting as sick, but they can't stop you from spreading it, can't stop you from getting it. The vaccination's been out for how long now, and the numbers are still seem to be just as high as they've ever been. And it's just like I got into a discussion on Facebook the other day with a guy. I'd posted something about the vaccination, um, and he had posted, yeah, I got vaccinated. He says, I got went and got vaccinated because when I was a kid, I got vaccinated for measles and uh, smallpox and all that stuff. And look at this. I never got them. 
And he says, why should this vaccination be any different? And I was telling him, I says, the reason it's different is because you get this vaccination, you still get the stupid disease. And also this vaccination isn't um, as well tested, I don't feel, as those other ones. So it just everybody's got their own opinion about it. But anyhow, tonight we are going to be talking, I think we may end up getting into two the, tonight again. The first one that we're going to cover is the hula hoop, which is the next thing they talk about in the show. And there really isn't a whole lot on um, this one. There's just, I mean, a hula hoop, it kind of is what it is. But one thing you probably didn't know about it, um, and I didn't know this, that the the hula hoop, they say it's been around since 500 BC. They have, I don't know, hieroglyphs or something of people using them back then. But more semi-modern ones were made from Australian bamboo before they started making them out of plastic. And they were originally made by a company named Whammo, which that company, they also made the Frisbee and the Slip and Slide and some others, a bunch of like kind of like janky kids' toys. And I'm not sure, I think they were the ones, you guys remember that little metal wheel or that little wheel that was on the metal ring thing? They, I think they called it Wheelo or something like that. I can't remember if uh, they were the ones who made that or not. But also, they also made, I think, the ball with the paddle thing with the rubber band and see how many times you can smack it back and forth without screwing it up. So anyhow, they made, like I said, a bunch of janky little toys. But anyhow, the hoops, the Native Americans actually used the hoops in their storytelling. They'd use them as props for their dances. But a gal by the name of Joan Anderson, she brought back a bamboo hoop from Australia, and she showed it to her husband. Back This was back in 1957. And her husband ended up showing it to a guy from Whammo, and they agreed on a gentleman's handshake to market it. But the guy from Whammo, he evidently wasn't much of a gentleman because Joan and her husband never received anything from the sale of these. And Whammo started making these, and by 1958, they'd become a fad. There were 25 million of them sold in less than four months. And by two by two years, they had sold over a hundred million units. And their manufacture the manufacturing plant that was making these things, they were pumping out around fifty thousand hoops per day. And obviously, uh, people do all sorts of stuff with them. They do fire hooping. They try to see how many hoops they can keep spinning at the same time. Um, I couldn't even keep one spinning at the same time. And that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, honestly. How much is there to say about a plastic ring that's probably overpriced? So the next thing that we're going to get into, which will be a little bit more on this one, is we're going to be talking about Fidel Castro. And his given name when he was born was Fidel Alejandro Castro Ruz. And he was born August 13th of 1926. His father was named Angel Castro E. Arguez. And he was a veteran of the Spanish-American War, and he had migrated to Cuba from northwestern Spain. He'd actually become wealthy when he was in Spain selling sugarcane. And Fidel, he was born out of wedlock to his father and his house servant, a gal by the name of Lena Ruz Gonzalez. And he hooked up with her after his first marriage had failed. And she was from Canarian ancestry, which I'm guessing is from the Canary Islands. But they did eventually get married, and they gave Fidel her surname, since illegitimacy was not looked on favorably much at all back then. It still isn't looked on really favorably, but it's more accepted these days. 
But Fidel's father and this gal, they end up having seven children together, which even by today's standards, that seems to be quite a few kids. So when he was six, he was sent to live with his teacher in Santiago de Cuba, and he was baptized at the age of eight, and since he was now baptized in the Roman Catholic Church, he was able to enter the La Salle boarding school in Santiago, which it must have been a Catholic boarding school. But it said that he misbehaved here quite a lot, and uh, so he was sent from the Catholic school to a privately funded Jesuit school in Santiago called the Dolores School. And he attended here for quite a while, and then in 1945 he transferred to another Jesuit school called El Colegio de Belen, El Colegio de Belen, and this was in Havana. And he wasn't very good in school, and he focused more on sports. Then later in 1945, he ended up beginning to study law at the University of Havana. And just like so many others that we've covered, he got heavily involved in student um, activism at the time. And he also got involved in the violent uh, gangsterismo culture within the university. But he quickly started to become uh, pretty passionate about anti-imperialism. And he was also critical of the U.S. involvement in the Caribbean. So it doesn't seem that he liked the U.S. much from the very beginning. He ran for president of the Federation of the University of Students, but he was unsuccessful. And so in 1947, he joined the Party of the Cuban People. And the founder of this group was a guy by the name of Eduardo Chibas. And he advocated for social justice, honest government, and political freedom. And this, I mean, the deal with Fidel is, I mean, he really stood for a lot of this type of stuff. At least, I guess, in the early days he did. And this party, they were known for exposing corruption and demanding reform. And so this guy, he ended up running for president, but he ended up third in the general election in 1948. But Fidel, he still continued to follow the guy and help him out. But also at the school that he was attending, student violence was beginning to break out. And evidently Castro was on the wrong side of it, and he received a death threat if he didn't leave the school, which... He didn't end up leaving what he did. Instead, he started packing heat with him, and he started surrounding himself with armed friends. And there are actually reports of him carrying out assassinations at this time at the school, but those have never been proven. But as an American, uh, there was an American historian who wrote about him. The guy's name was John Lewis. He wrote, he began his career as a revolutionary with no ideology at all. He was a student politician turned street fighter turned guerrilla, a voracious reader, an interminable speaker, and a pretty good baseball player. The only ideas that appear to have driven him were a lust for power, a willingness to use violent means to get it, and an unwillingness to share it once he had it. If he had followed any example, it was that of Napoleon, not Marx. So this guy kind of pretty much sums up uh, Fidel Castro and a lot of everything that people really think about him. Even to this day, that guy kind of sums up in that little statement there. But also, um, in 1947, he heard of an, ex of an expedition to overthrow the government of Rafael Trujillo in the Dominican Republic. And this guy was a U.S. ally, so Castro joined in on the expedition. And they had about 1,200 troops who were going to sail from Cuba to the Dominican Republic. But the current leader of Cuba heard about this, and with U.S. pressure mounting on him, he stopped them from doing it. So Fidel, he ended up returning to Havana, and he got involved in student protests again, one of which he was ended up being severely beaten, and uh, I think he had to be hospitalized for that one. 
And now he was uh, also out giving speeches, now condemning social and economic inequality in Cuba. So just kind of like all the other dictators or whatnot that we've followed along through this, it seems like they all um, are cut from the same cloth. Then in 1948, he ended up traveling to Colombia to get involved in writing there. Uh, this was sponsored by the Argentine government. And so he did that for a while. And then he returned back to Cuba and he met his first wife. And her name was Mirta Diaz Balart. She was a student from a pretty wealthy family. And he got a taste of the life of the Cuban elite by being married uh, to her. And both of the families dis disapproved of the relationship. But they end up getting married anyhow, and her father actually paid for a three-month honeymoon in New York. And by now, Castro, he was leaning uh, farther and farther left, and he started being influenced by the writings of guys like Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin and uh, those types. And he refused to accept the failings of corrupt politicians for Cuba being in the state that it was in. Instead, he was saying it was from the capitalist society. So... That was one of his basis, uh, bases that he stood for. The uh, the government in Cuba, it seems like it had always been corrupt, but he didn't think that that was a problem. He thought it was from the capitalist ideology that was uh, trying to be pushed in Cuba at the time. But in 1949, Castro, he now had a wife and a son, and he gave a speech exposing the gangs, and he ended up having to go into hiding for a while. But he was able to return to Havana a few weeks later, and he continued his studies, and he finally graduated with a Doctor of Law degree in 1950. And so once he got out of college, he ended up partnering in a legal firm, but it ended up uh, failing. Castro wouldn't pay his bills, and he was continuing, uh, or he wouldn't pay his bills, and all of his furniture ended up getting repossessed, and his electricity got turned off. And all the while, he was continuing with his protests, and one of them got so violent that he ended up getting arrested for violent conduct, but the magistrate ended up dismissing the charges. And he was still supporting that Chiba's guy that he had been supporting him for a few years now. And he was actually, when Chiba's wasn't uh, winning any elections, he ended up finally uh, committing suicide. And it said that Castro was there for, it said it was a politically motivated suicide, which I'm not even sure... Um, how that is i'm not sure what he was trying to change politically by being dead but anyhow uh castro he saw himself as uh chibis's heir and he wanted to run for congress but his party members said that he was too radical and refused to nominate him but instead he got nominated for the house of representatives and he was uh representing the poor districts of the area that he was in and he began campaigning and his campaigning was cut short though because uh a guy by the name of General Fulgencio Batista ended up overthrowing the government, and Batista canceled the elections that were supposed to take place, and so that kind of ended Castro's campaigning. And a lot of people started beginning to saying that he was running a one-man dictatorship. And he also started leaning more to the right, and he was getting in with the wealthy Cubans. And he was opening talks with the U.S., and he was cutting off talks with the Soviets. And so this didn't sit well with Castro, and he started legal battles against the government. But seeing how his issue was with the head of the government, you can kind of guess how that ended up working out for him. So he went back to the drawing board to figure out how to oust Batista. And so he ended up creating a group called The Movement, and it was basically an anti-Batista group. 
And in July of 1952, they went on a recruitment tour, and he got almost 1,200 recruits to join. A lot of them were coming from the poor districts of Havana, the areas that he was a representative for. He ended up getting a lot of people out of there. And he was getting noticed now in the Communist Party called uh, the Popular so the Communist Party that was called the Popular Socialist Party was looking to try to create alliance with him. But he avoided creating an alliance with him because he figured it would scare off his more moderate supporters. But he'd kind of keep in contact with a lot of people in the party, kind of, uh, you know, behind the scenes and whatnot. But his flat plan was to overthrow the Moncada barracks on July 25th. And so there they would be able to get more weaponry uh, and create be able to create uh more uprisings so to do this he got 165 of his guys together and the attack was now going to take place on july 26 1953 they were not supposed to shed blood unless they met armed resistance but this whole attack thing they faced issues from the start first of all three of the 16 cars that they had set out to go to this base with they end up breaking down on the way and then when they reached the barracks, the alarm was raised and they were pinned down by machine gun fire. So they ended up uh, ended up with six dead and 15 casualties. The military had about 19 dead and 27 wounded. And the rebels ended up taking over a civilian hospital. And then the military ended up raiding it. And so the rebels were, the guys that were with Castro, they were ended up uh, get it, rounded up and tortured. 22 of them ended up being executed. But Fidel and 19 of his buddies, they were able to escape and flee to the mountains. And while they were there, he planned up setting up a guerrilla base in the mountains. So in response to this, Batista enacted martial law and he ordered a violent crackdown on any dissent. Anything that was going against the government, he was cracking down on people for that. And then he spread misinformation about the attack, saying that it was the rebels that had killed the innocent hospital patients. But soon the pictures, they kind of started circulating about and uh, was showing that it wasn't actually the rebels who ended up killing all of them. But soon, though, all the rebels, they ended up being captured and they were sent off to a prison uh, north of Santiago. And Castro, he ended up going to court, it, but while he was in or while he was on trial, he represented himself, where he basically embarrassed the army to a point where they wouldn't let him testify anymore, saying that he was too ill to testify, because everything that they were trying to throw at him, he had something to say back to it, and he was just kind of making it look kind of stupid, kind of like the prosecution in the Rittenhouse trial. But he ended up getting sentenced to 15 years for this. And while he was in prison, he met up with uh, 25 of his comrades. And now they renamed uh, the group the 26th of July Movement. And while he was in prison, he continued reading his Marx books and whatnot. And uh, him and his wife, while he was in prison, they ended up uh, getting divorced as well. But by 1955, Castro and 15 of his supporters were released. And Batista evidently intermittent underestimated how hell-bent Castro was on getting rid of him. So Castro, he went back to work on taking over the government. And this was also, this is about the time that he ended up meeting uh, Che Guevara. And he would, he'd actually end up becoming a pretty central figure in the Cuban Revolution. And he was kind of helping Castro to plan out these attacks on to get rid of Batista. So there had been a bombing that had taken place in 1955. Uh, this forced Castro to leave the country. They thought that he was behind it. And he ended up in Mexico and was devising a plan for going back. 
And so while he was here in Mexico, he ended up purchasing a yacht, and he had 81 armed men on board with him, and they were going to set out for Cuba. But like the barracks attack, this thing didn't start out well at all. The five-day trip that it was going to take, it ended up taking seven days. And while they were out to sea, they ended up facing hunger, seasickness. They sprung a leak in the yacht, and the, so they would end up having to bail water. And I don't know if they ever actually even got the leak fixed or if they just took turns bailing water the whole time. But they finally ran aground in, in Cuba on December 2nd of 1956. And almost immediately, Castro's troops, they started attacks on some military outposts that were there. And end up at this point, it ended up, pretty much becoming an all-out war. Castro, he even had a guy from the CIA that was getting him guns. And like we've seen in other places, the CIA, they kind of support behind the scenes who they want to support or who they want to see in power or whatnot. So the CIA guy was getting guns for Castro. But by the beginning of 1959, um, Batista, he had evidently had enough and he fled the country. And uh, got out of there. And I think I remember there was quite a big deal. He took off with a bunch of money with him, too. Uh, and so now Castro was in charge of the country. And he was going to start running things his own way. And this is kind of where he... It seems like he kind of started to go off the deep end. Uh, we have uh, corruption in politics here. But the corruption that we face here... I mean, we just have voter fraud and things like that to get our presidents in these guys they were a lot worse so castro he named a guy by the manual uh or by the name of manuel eurasia leo as president and he said that he won it by popular election but that was false it was just basically that castro wanted him to be president most of the cabinet members were rebels the day before and then all of a sudden their cabinet members running the government and castro he set up his home office and uh or his home and his office in the havana hilton so he was running everything from there and it kind of seems like this leo guy he was just kind of a puppet on a string and castro was calling all the shots he was just the face in front of the people and just kind of repeating whatever castro told him to told him to say but this time castro he also began meetingly or meeting secretly with the psp the uh popular party or whatever they called themselves or the popular socialist party uh the were the communist group from earlier and he also started having trials and executions of people that had helped batista out in the past so just like all the other like i keep saying like all the other guys that uh we've talked about when they start finding the guys that had helped out the person that they ousted they end up starting having so-called trials and the guys that eventually be executed But in 1959, Castro, he was finally made prime minister of Cuba. And one of the first things that he did uh, was he started a world tour. He was basically trying to gain support for Latin America. And while he was, along while he was doing this, he was out against, or he was out for the little guy in Cuba. And he was kind of against all the big people. So he also started breaking up any farmland in Cuba of anything that was over about 930 acres. And this actually even affected his own mother. He ended up breaking up her property. But by doing this, he was also uh, starting to become more and more popular with the middle and lower class because he was kind of redistributing the wealth. He also started nationalizing uh, land that, and 
basically any land in Cuba that was owned by foreign investors, he would nationalize it. So it would basically, I guess, become property of the Cuban government. And along with sugar production and oil refining, he was starting to get some enemies by doing this. Although he denied being a socialist or communist, he ended up starting to appoint pro-Marxist people to his cabinet positions. And so this is kind of, you know, he's getting everything set up in place. Uh, one guy in particular that we talked about earlier was Che Guevara. He was appointed to the head of the central bank and then minister of industries. So uh, he was getting everybody set into place pretty much where he wanted them. The president, he was getting concerned with all these Marxists getting appointed. And it actually made Castro so angered that he resigned his position on July 18th. The president was kind of speaking out against him and stuff. And Castro got mad, so he resigned in, on July 18th. And then a bunch of Castro supporters, they end up surrounding the presidential palace. And they demanded that the president resign, which he did end up doing. So then on July 23rd, Castro returned to his premiership. And he appointed another Marxist by the name of Osvaldo Dorticos as president. So as things continued, he, uh, he grew closer and closer with the lower class people. Uh, he was also leaning more towards the USSR, which was straining his relationship with the United States. Uh, he did go to the UN meeting in New York, and he met with a lot of leaders there that the U.S. was having issues with. Guys like uh, Nikita Khrushchev, uh, Nasser, um, guys like that. He was kind of starting to meet with them and uh, kind of build up a bit of an ally in those guys since how uh, they were having troubles with the United States. And he went back to Cuba. Uh, when he got back there, he was fearing a U.S.-backed coup. So he ended up starting to strengthen up, uh, get his forces, uh, building up his army and things like that. And since we're going to be covering the uh, Bay and Pigs, the Bay of Pigs invasion, uh, I'm going to skip past a lot of that stuff. I may pick it back up and uh, go back into it when we cover that episode, or else that episode is going to be actually... Uh, even slower than some of these are. So in 2006, uh, Castro, he underwent surgery for intestinal bleeding. He was still meeting with anti-imperialist leaders at this point. Guys like uh, Hugo Chavez is another name that of guy that he was meeting with. But in 2008, he put out a letter that he could not in good conscience continue to take up responsibilities with his health deteriorating. So basically, on February 24th of 2008, they voted in Raul Castro as president, who hap just happened to be Fidel's brother. So I'm not sure how well that election was uh, truthful or not. Um, maybe he could have been named Raul Biden. But Fidel, he still remained in the political spectrum for a bit for years to come. He was kind of working behind the scenes, although, uh, you know, kind of helping his brother out and things like that. But his health was continuing to deteriorate. And he ended up finally dying on November 25th, 25th of 2016. His cause of death was not disclosed. Uh, and he was cremated and his ashes were entombed in Santa Ifig Iphigenia Cemetery. I had heard at one time that um, his cause of death was actually from syphilis or maybe cancer. But I'm not sure about that. And like I said, we kind of skipped over or I kind of skipped over quite a bit there towards the end. Because a lot of that's going to come up. Uh, when we cover the Bay of Pigs invasion here in a little bit. And I think that's uh, in that episode, we'll probably uh, start, we'll talk a little bit 
also about the CIA trying to assess, assassinate him and some of the problems that he had with Kennedy and things like that. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one. This uh, was a bit of a longer one. And uh, hopefully I'm trying to do a little bit more research to make these things last a little bit longer. So go out there and uh, follow me on the Facebook page on Podcast from P-Town. Or you can follow me on Instagram at P-Town Podcast. Or you can send me an email at ptownpodcast 74 at gmail.com. And that's it for this one. We'll see you guys on the next one.